Chapter 2 of Countess Erika's Apprenticeship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Vinay Mala. Countess Erika's Apprenticeship by Osip Shubin. Translated by Annie Slee Vister. Chapter 2. Full four years had passed by since Erika had kissed the young artist. She recalled the little adventure which had taken upon itself quite magnificent dimensions in her lively imagination with secret delight and a vague sense of shame. Emma was bearing her cross as best she might, but at every step she well nigh fell exhausted. Her wretchedness not unfrequently found vent in angry words, for which she was sure to repent and apologize. Her relation with her daughter, now a tall, slender and unusually clever girl of 14, suffered from her general wretchedness. She still loved the child tenderly, but the girl's clear, observant gaze pained her. It had grown much clearer and more penetrating with the years. A certain weight and oppression seemed to brood over Lazno like the sense of an impending catastrophe. The only ray of sunshine in the unhappy wife's gloomy lot was her little son. Out of several children by her second marriage, he alone had survived. He was strong and healthy, the darling of all, his sister's idol. Then he had hardly passed his seventh birthday when he too died. The little fellow had sickened in the midst of his play, had run to his sister and had fallen asleep with his head in her lap. The girl sat still, not to disturb him, and enjoined silence upon Miss Sophie, who was in the room. The twilight stole grey and vague in upon the bare apartment. The maid servant, there were no longer any men servants at Lasno brought in a lamp and a plate of rosy-cheeked apples for the children's supper. The boy opened his eyes but closed them again with a low moan and turned his head away from the light. His mother appeared, saw at a glance how matters stood and put the little fellow to bed. She did not come down to supper and when Erika went, as was her wont, to say good-night to her brother, she was not allowed to enter his room. The next morning, the doctor was sent for. Whilst he was in the sick room, Arika was taking her daily lesson in English with Miss Sophie, with no thought of any trouble. She was learning by heart her scene from Shakespeare, when her mother suddenly put her head in at the door and said, Diphtheria. The tone of her voice and the expression of her face were such as to terrify the girl. But when Erika, trembling with dread, ran towards her, she waved her off and vanished. Miss Sophie was established in the sick room, which Erika was not allowed to enter. No one paid her any attention, and she spent hours forlornly watching at the end of a long gloomy corridor, the door behind which so much that was terrible was going on. If she was seen, she was sent away. But before long, the entire household was too anxious to pay her the slightest heed. It was about eleven in the forenoon of the fifth day since the first symptoms of the disease had appeared. 
Erika stood listening eagerly near the door, trembling with a sense of something vaguely terrible going on behind it. Suddenly it opened, and her mother staggered out. Her dress disordered, her face distorted with agony, and supported by the little boy's nurse. Behind her came Stanchinsky, his handkerchief at his eyes. In absolute terror, Erika looked after her mother, who passed her by, even brushing her with her skirt without seeing her. Then she entered the room which the wretched woman had just left. The bed was covered with a white sheet which revealed the outline of the little form beneath it. The girl's heart throbbed almost to bursting. She lifted a corner of the sheet. There lay her little brother, dead, so white and with his sweet face unchanged by disease. The little hands lay half open upon the coverlet as though life had just slipped from them. A grace born of death hovered above the entire form. His sister gazed in tearless distress. She could not cry. She felt no definable pain, only a terrible heaviness in her limbs and a weight upon her heart that almost choked her. She bent over the corpse to kiss it when Miss Sophie rushed into the room, seized her by the arm and thrust her out of the door. Of course, the first thing Erika did was to look for her mother. She found her in the morning room, seated in a large armchair, quivering in every limb. Minna, the nurse, was moistening her forehead with cologne, but she seemed entirely unconscious. Her hands were folded in her lap, and her gaze was fixed on vacancy. Erika could not summon the courage to approach her. Meanwhile, Strachensky was pacing the room in long strides. His tears were already dried. Every now and then he would pause and heave a profound sigh. At first Emma seemed not to notice him, but on a sudden she roused from her apathy and passing her hand over her brow with a feeble wailing cry, she said, For God's sake, stop, Nello. He paused, cleared his throat several times, took an English penknife from his pocket, began to pare his nails and then went to his wife and stroked her cheek. She shrank from him involuntarily. He groaned feelingly, left her and went to the window. With the one hand he stroked his whiskers, with the other he jingled the keys in his pocket. After a while he began in an undertone, probably with the foolish expectation of distracting the wretched mother's thoughts, to detail what was going on outside, all in a melancholy sentimental monotone that would have set healthy nerves on edge. Ah, see that little sparrow with the straw in its beak. It must be fitting up its winter nest. Poor Emma sat bolt upright, except that her head inclined somewhat forward and gazed at the man at the window. Suddenly she uttered a short shrill scream and pressing both hands to her temples rushed out of the room. When she had gone, Stranchiski shrugged his shoulders, sighed as if gross injustice had been done him and retired to his room to make a list of the names of all those whom he wished notified of the death. The funeral took place the third day afterwards. On that day they assembled at the dinner table as on other days. The poor mother ate nothing, and Erika could scarce swallow a morsel. The tears which had refused to come at first were falling fast upon her new black gown. Stanchiski ate, 
but after a while he too pushed his plate away for the first time in her life his stepdaughter was conscious of an emotion of compassion for him she thought that his grief had made eating impossible when he cleared his throat and this is intolerable he whined at best i have no appetite and here is tomato sauce you know i never eat tomato sauce his wife made no reply she only looked at him with her strange new gaze with eyes from which the last veil had fallen and which were pained by the light the look in those eyes would have made one shudder the clock in the castle tower struck one quarter of an hour after another bringing ever nearer the time for the interment the little body was already laid in the coffin the coffin lid leaned up against the wall a fierce restlessness the strained expectation of a certain moment which was to be the culmination of an intolerable misery possessed erica she hurried from place to place and at last ran after her mother who had gone into the garden it was cold and stormy the autumn had come late and suddenly some bushes had kept all their leaves but they were blackened and shriveled others had retained only a few red and yellow leaflets that fluttered in the wind the trees on the other hand were almost entirely bare the naked boughs showed dark gray or purplish brown against the cloudy sky the birches alone could still boast some golden colored foliage on the moist gravel paths and the sodden autumn grass lay wet brown leaves mingled with those but lately fallen the asters and chrysanthemums nipped by the first frost hung their heads and among all the autumnal decay the poor mother wandered about seeking a few fresh flowers to lay in her dead child's coffin with faltering steps tripping now and then over the skirt of her gown she tottered from one ruined flower bed to another the sharp autumn wind fluttered her dress and outlined her emaciated limbs from her lips came a low moaning mingled with caressing words she kissed the few poor flowers frost touched which she held in her hand erica walked close behind her once or twice she stretched out her hand to grasp her mother's skirt but withdrew it hastily as if fearing to hurt her by even the gentlest touch 10 minutes afterwards the sharp strokes of a hammer resounded through the castle and the unhappy woman was crouching in the farthest corner of her room her hands held tightly to her ears in the night following the funeral erica was waked from sleep by a low moan she started up by the vague light of early dawn in which the windows were defined amid the darkness she saw something dark lying upon the floor beside her bed she cried out in terror and then it stirred it was her mother lying there upon the hard floor where she must have been for some time for when erica touched her she was icy cold the girl took her in her arms and drew her into the soft warm bed beside her neither spoke one word but their hearts beat in unison all discord between them had vanished she had thrown off her burden she breathed anew she would stand erect once more then she discovered that a heavier burden yet a fresh tie bound her to the husband whom now stripped of all illusion she detested the consciousness of this misfortune crept over her slowly at first she would not believe it 
and when she could no longer doubt it seemed to her that her reason must give way erica soon perceived that her mother's misery was not due alone to the loss of her child no that pain brought with it a tender and gentle mood another burden oppressed her something against which her entire nature angrily rebelled and under the weight of which she displayed a gloomy severity from which her daughter alone never suffered towards her since the boy's death emma had shown inexpressible tenderness and the girl thirsting for affection was never weary of nestling close in her mother's arms receiving her caresses with profound gratitude almost with devout adoration sometimes the mother would smile in the midst of her grief as she stroked the gold gleaming hair back from her child's pale face with its large dark eyes they do not see it she would murmur but i see how pretty you are growing poor little erica you have had a sad youth but life will atone to you for it when i am no longer here do not say that cried the girl clasping her mother in her arms as if i could endure life without you mother mother you do not dream of what can be endured her mother said bitterly one submits learn to submit learn it as soon as may be do not ask too much from life ask for no complete happiness it is an illusion you indeed are justified in claiming more than your poor ugly mother had any right to my beautiful gifted child she uttered the words almost with solemnity something of the romantic strain which had characterized her through every stage of her prosaic humiliating existence came to light now in her worship of her daughter she strongly impressed erica with the idea that she was an exceptional creature and although she was always admonishing her to expect nothing of life she nevertheless gave her to understand that life was sure to offer something extraordinary for her acceptance on the whole in spite of the girl's grief at the loss of her little brother she would have been happier than ever before had it not been for a growing anxiety with regard to her mother whose health had entirely given way whereas she had been wont from early morning until late at night to make her presence felt throughout the household and on the estate grasping with a firm and skilled hand the reins which her husband had idly dropped now she took an interest in nothing erica was tortured by anxiety an anxiety all the more distressing from the fact that she could not define her fears towards her husband emma displayed a daily increasing irritability but his easy content was not at all disturbed by it thanks to a fancy which was ever ready to devise means for sparing and nourishing his self-conceit he discovered a hundred reasons other than the true one for his wife's attitude towards him her irritability was all due he informed miss sophie to her situation and in receiving miss sophie's admiring and compassionate homage he found and had found for some time his favorite occupation emma now lived apart in a large room which besides her bed and washstand was furnished only with a couple of bookshelves two straight backed chairs covered with horsehair and a round tiled stove decorated with the rude bas relief of a train of mad bacchante 
and bearing on its level top a large funeral urn the boards of the floor were bare and in a deep window recess there was an armchair in this chair the miserable woman would sit for hours her elbows resting upon its arms her hands clasped staring into vacancy in the garden upon which this window looked the snow lay several feet deep upon the meadow beyond which sloped gently to the broad frozen river and upon its icy surface it was so deep that meadow and river were undistinguishable from each other upon the dark pine forest that bounded the horizon upon everything it lay cold and heavy all cold all white huge drifts of snow no road definable never a bird that chirped never a leaf that stirred all cold and white without pulsation without breath dead the whole earth a lovely stark corpse and the wretched woman's gaze could fall upon not outside save this white monotony spring came the dignified repose of death dissolved in feverish activity in the restless change of seasons vibrating between fear and foul between purity and its opposite the earth absorbed the snow except where in dark hollows it lingered in patches to disappear slowly in muddy pools emma still sat for hours daily in her room with hands clasped in her lap but her eyes were no longer fixed on vacancy they had found an object upon which to rest among the tender green of the meadows so lately stripped of their snowy covering glided the river dark and swollen how loudly it exulted in its liberation from its icy fetters freedom shouted its surging waves freedom upon this river her gaze was now riveted days passed weeks the air was warm and sweet the window by which she sat was open and the voice of the river was clear and loud one afternoon at the end of april the ploughs were creaking over the road there was an odor of freshly turned earth in the air and the fruit trees were already enveloped in a white mist the sun had set and in the west the crescent moon hung pale and shadowy erica was standing at the low garden wall looking down across the meadow her youthful spirit was oppressed by anxiety so vague that she could neither define it nor struggle against it she seemed to be blindly dragged along to meet the inevitable her mother had today been especially tender to her but sadder than ever before she had talked as if her death were nigh at hand and had spent a long time in writing letters on a sudden the girl perceived a dark object moving rapidly along in the warm damp evening air a tall figure in a black gown which fluttered in the south wind it was her mother how quickly she strode through the high rank grass how strange was her gait erica had never before seen anyone hasten thus with long strides and yet falteringly as though borne down by weariness on on towards the dark flowing river suddenly the girl divined what her mother intended to do she would have screamed but for an instant her voice failed her and in the next she was silent from presence of mind the clear sight of terror she clambered over the low wall and flew after her mother her feet scarcely touching the ground her breath coming in painful gasps the dark figure had reached its goal the river bank it leaned forward when two nervous girlish hands clutched the back folds of her gown 
Mother, shrieked Erika in despair. She turned round. What do you want? She said harshly, almost cruelly to her daughter. Then she shuddered violently and burst into a convulsive sobbing which it seemed impossible to her to control. Her daughter put her arm around her, nestled close to her and kissed the tears from her cheeks. Mother, she cried tenderly, darling mother. And without another word, she gently led the wretched woman away from the water. The mother made no resistance. She was mortally weary and leaned heavily upon the slender girl of fourteen. They slowly returned to the house. A white translucent mist was rising from the fields and flying through it with drooping wings so low that they almost stirred the grass. A flock of hoarsely croaking ravens passed them by. In the night, Erika suddenly aroused from sleep without knowing what had wakened her. She rubbed her eyes and turned to sleep again when just outside of her door she heard a voice exclaim, Ah, God of heaven! In an instant, barefooted and in her nightgown, she was in the corridor, where she saw the cook hurrying in the direction of her mother's room. What is the matter? The girl cried in terror. The cook looked round, shrugged her shoulders and hurried on. Erika would have followed her, but Stranchesky appeared at the turning of the corridor where the cook had vanished. He looked as if just roused from sleep. He had on a flowered dressing gown and carried a lighted candle. Beside him, Minna walked, pale as ashes. Stanchiski set the candlestick down upon a long low table in the passage. Have the horses harnessed immediately, he ordered, and send the bailiff to K for the doctor. Will not the herb baron go himself? People are not always to be relied upon, said Minna with a significant glance at the master of the house. Oh no! The bailiff will attend to it perfectly. And then you can understand that I do not wish to be away at this time from my wife, who will of course ask for me. Minna's eyes still being fixed upon him with a very strange expression in them, he added, snapping out of his words in childish irritation. And then, then it is no business of yours, you stupid fool. And turning on his heel, he left her. Minna shrugged her shoulders and turned towards the staircase to give the necessary orders. Neither she nor Stranchiski had noticed Erika. The girl ran to the nurse and plucked her by the sleeve. Minna, she asked in dread, what is the matter? Is my mother ill? Yes. What is the matter with her? Tell me, Minna. Oh, tell me. But the nurse shook off her clasping hands. Let me alone, child. I am in a hurry, she murmured. Erika advanced a step hesitated and then returned to her room, where she found Miss Sophie in great distress, her head crowned with curl papers, which she cut out of the modern free press every evening and which made her look half like Medusa and half like a porcupine. Where are you going? she asked, seeing that Erika began to dress hurriedly. To my mother. She is ill. Miss Sophie gently detained her. Do not go, she said softly. They would not let you in. You would only be in the way now. Wait a little. Your mother does not want you there. And she wagged her porcupine head with melancholy solemnity as she added, I believe, I think you will perhaps have a little brother or sister. Erika stared at her. This it was then. Among the many sad experiences that were to fall to Erika's lot, 
there were none to equal the dull restlessness the mortal dread mingled with the mysterious inexpressible emotion of these hours she went on dressing striving only to be ready quickly as one dresses when the next house is on fire then she seated herself opposite miss sophie at a tottering round table upon which stood a guttering candle for a while all was silent then there was a noise outside the door the girls sprang up and hurried out to see a stout elderly woman in a tall black cap with the phlegmatic flabby face of a monk going towards her mother's room erica recognized her as the needy widow of a stone mason she was wont to doctor both men and cattle in the village her name was frau jelinek the scullery maid who had brought her was just behind her they passed erica without heeding her and the girl looked after them in a fresh access of dread two hours passed miss sophie was asleep erica still waked and watched a light rain had begun to fall the drops pattered against the window panes once more erica rose and crept out into the corridor trembling in every limb she stood at the door of the room through which her mother's sleeping apartment was reached it was ajar and light streamed through the crack she looked in stanchiski was seated at a table playing whist with three dummies it had for some time past been his favorite occupation a maid stood in a corner arranging a pile of linen erica was about to address her when frau jelenik her black leathern bag on her arm came out of her mother's bedroom may i not go to mama just for a moment the girl asked in an agitated whisper the bedroom door opened again and minna appeared is it you child yes yes erica made answer do not disturb your mother stay in your room till you are called minna said authoritatively and from the room came the poor mother's weary gentle voice go lie down my child don't sit up any longer go to bed dear for a while erica stood motionless then she kissed the hard cold door that would not open to her and went back to her room she lay down on the bed dressed as she was and this time she fell asleep on a sudden she sat upright the candle on the table was still burning and by its light she saw that miss sophie who had been sleeping on the sofa was sitting up awake and listening with a startled air erica hurried out minna met her in the corridor and at the same moment a vehicle rattled into the courtyard the doctor exclaimed minna thank god the bailiff appeared on the staircase where is the doctor he was not at home the man made answer did you not ask where he was and go after him minna asked impatiently no replied the bailiff twirling his straw hat in his hand but i left word for him to come as soon as he got home fool stanchiski who had now come into the corridor exclaimed shaking his fist at the man you are dismissed he added grandiloquently then turning to minna he said good heavens if i had a horse i could ride to k without heeding him minna hurried down the staircase and a few moments later a carriage again left the courtyard minna had herself gone for the doctor before her departure beseeching erica to keep quiet she should be summoned as soon as it would be right for her to see her mother 
the girl obeyed and sat in her room rigid and motionless at the table where the candle was burning down into the socket at first to shorten the time she tried to knit but the needles dropped from her fingers miss sophie sat opposite her with elbows upon the table and her head in her hands listening in the distance there was a sound of wheels it came nearer and nearer thank god it was minna and she brought the doctor there was a hurried running to and fro and then all was still still as death the dawn crept in at the window the flame of the candle burned red and dim the rain had ceased and through the misty window panes could be seen a glimmer of white blossoms and behind them a pale blue sky in which the last stars were slowly fading then the door opened and minna entered come erica she said in a low voice erica arose hastily have i really a little brother she asked anxiously minna shook her head it is dead and my mother ah come quickly she drew the girl along with her through the long whitewashed corridor in the room leading to the dying woman's chamber stanchiski was standing with the physician the latter stood with bowed head stanchiski was weeping erica went directly to her mother's bedside the dying woman's hair was brushed back from her temples her lips were blue erica kneeled down and buried her face in the bedclothes her mother laid her hand upon her head and stroked it ah how feebly but how soothing was the touch in one corner old minna kneeled praying outside the world was brightening there was a golden splendor over all the earth the birds twittered at first faintly then loudly and shrilly the dying woman stirred among the pillows erica was to hear the dear voice once more my child my poor dear child i have been a poor mother to you oh mother darling my death will make it all right right too at this moment stanchiski knocked at the door emma he whispered the dying woman's face expressed positive horror do not let him come in she exclaimed erica flew to the door and turned the key when she returned to the bedside her mother was struggling for breath evidently most anxious to impart some information to her daughter she had not the strength to do so once more she passed her hand over erica's head it was for the last time then the hand grew heavier it no longer lavished a caress it was a mere weight erica moved and looked at her mother the tears stood in her eyes unshed so wondrous was her mother's face the battle was won all the pain of life the sweet pain of supreme rapture hinting to us of that heaven which we cannot attain and that other bitter pain pointing to the grave at which we shudder was for her extinct erica threw herself upon the body and covered it with kisses with difficulty could she be induced to leave it but when they led her from the room as soon as the door closed behind her she was docile and gentle she seemed bewildered and walked slowly with bowed head beside minna once only she looked back when a thin melancholy wail resounded through the quiet morning air it was the bell in the little tower of the castle tolling restlessly years afterwards she could not bring herself to recall in memory the terrible days that followed the dreary burden that she dragged about with her from morning until night 
the sleep born of utter exhaustion the slow pursuance of daily custom as in a dream the awakening with nerves refreshed by forgetfulness and then the sudden consciousness of misery the sensation of soreness in every limb a sensation intensified by every motion by a word spoken in her presence the restlessness which drove her hither and thither until in some dim corner she would crouch down and cry cry until the very fount of her tears seemed dry and her burning eyes would close again in the leaden sleep which still had to yield to the terrible awakening she felt the most earnest desire to do something to perform some office of love for her mother but scarcely for one moment was she left alone with the body strangers prepared the loved one for the tomb the coachman and the gardener lifted her into the coffin shortly before it was closed stanchiski remembered that his wife had once expressed a wish to be buried in the dress and veil she had worn at marriage with him but neither could be found the cabinet where she was wont to hoard her treasures was empty except for a lock of hair of her dead boy and this they laid beneath her head her husband bestowed but little thought upon the circumstance he honestly regretted the dead and lost his appetite for two days but as the time for the funeral drew near he worked himself into an exalted frame of mind which found vent in solemn pomposity he had ordered a hearse from the city erica was standing at a window of the corridor when with nodding plumes it rattled into the castle courtyard and her misery reached the point of despair until then she had not quite comprehended it all she heard the men stagger down the stairs beneath the weight of the coffin heard it knock against the wall at a sharp turn she followed it to the grave all walked behind the hearse the shabby splendor of which suited so ill with the rural landscape most of the gentry of the surrounding country who had long since ceased to visit at lasno assembled to pay the last honors to the poor woman but they were only a speck in the endless funeral train behind the few black coats and high hats following close upon the hearse came a swarming crowd all the peasants day laborers and beggars from lasno and the surrounding estates paid the last token of respect to the martyr gone to her eternal rest she had been good and kind to all it was the first of may the fields were clothed in a light green and the apple trees showed pink with half open blossoms a reddish smoke curled upward to the skies from the flames of the torches and there was a flutter of sighs among the blossoming boughs of the trees and above the meadows the breath of the freshly born spring through the new life strode death noiselessly the funeral train moved on erica walked almost mechanically looking neither to the right nor to the left only moving forward on a sudden something attracted her gaze on a little elevation by the roadside between two apple trees stood a young peasant woman with a child in her arms a child who stared at the long procession with large eyes of wonder end of chapter 2